Welcome to the Midlife Male Podcast, a podcast designed to help men maximize middle age and live healthier, wealthier, stronger, and happier. I am Greg Scheinman, and I'm inviting you to join the thousands of men who listen each week, receive my Midlife Male newsletter, and are committed to making this next phase of life our best phase. If you have not yet downloaded my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife, where I break down the three principles to maximizing middle age and taking back some of that shit you've given up, head on over to midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. Guys are loving these three principles to maximizing middle age, and you can download your copy today at midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. All right, guys, Greg Scheinman here, another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Thank you so much for being here this week and every week. The Midlife Mail movement continues to grow, expand, and reach more men, and it is all because of you. So thank you so much for sharing the podcast, sharing the newsletter, following on Instagram, leaving that five-star rating, those positive reviews. It makes a huge difference, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you haven't yet been over to midlifemail.com, head on over there. You can download a free copy of my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife. You can subscribe to the newsletter to have it dropped in your inbox every week. You can check out the special offers page for all of my favorite things and brand partnerships. These are the best of the best in items and brands and experiences that I actually use day in and day out. So those relationships run deep and I'm thrilled to pass them along to you guys as well. Also, this is big. November 1st, my book is being released. So pre-sales are now live. You can head over to Amazon and just search Midlife Mail or Greg Scheinman and my book, will appear and you can pre-order it right now. Please do. Greatly appreciate the support. I'm super proud of this. The guys at Amplify Publishing did an incredible job. You are going to get excerpts from the podcast and the amazing guests that I've got. You're going to get my take and experiences and stories on maximizing middle age and all six of the F's, family and fitness and finance and food and fashion and fun. It's really, I I think, a really cool book that you can open up any page, anytime and start from wherever you want to. That's kind of the way I like to read. I like to just pick things up and just go. So whatever you're looking for, it is in there. Check it out. Go pre-order it at Amazon and you will get it on November 1st. All right. My guest this week is the amazing Teddy Dean. I met Teddy at Modern Elder Academy uh, a few months back when I went there for one of their cohorts, retreats. Um, Man, it's kind of hard to kind of pigeonhole exactly and talk about exactly what Modern Elder Academy is, but it is really the brainchild of Chip Conley, who has been a guest on the podcast, and he has built this incredible facility compound that started out as as his home and has grown into an academy that is just helping so 
many individuals, men and women, kind of redefine and reframe middle age, which is really what I was there for. Uh, one of their courses, one of their retreats. This one happened to be featuring Tim Parr from Caddis, the eyeglasses you see me wearing constantly, and actually Teddy was wearing on the recording of the show. And it's just a remarkable, remarkable place. And I met Teddy there. Um, Teddy's background is is really incredible. He grew up in Southern California, and he was deeply involved in the surf and skateboard culture. And he toured and competed extensively and skateboarded for such teams as the Vans team and the iconic Powell and Peralta's Bones Brigade, which was managed by the legendary skater and filmmaker Stacy Peralta. Um, check out that whole story. It's, it's amazing. Um, and Teddy is this incredibly curious individual, and it led him to teachings on spirituality, yoga, mindfulness, meditation. And he studied and took courses and found a deep appreciation for the Dharma and the teachings of the Buddha. And he's now bringing his gift and sharing his gift with all of us at Modern Elder, as well as you know different retreats um, and events that he takes part of and, and that he leads. Uh, he's got one coming up in Sedona very soon as well. And I took his class every morning at Modern Elder. We would wake up and they are fun and they are engaging and they are meditative and they are challenging. And he's just just a super, super great guy. Um, and he has certainly encouraged me to, to soften and deepen and to think about things very, very differently and to be able to you know, breathe through a balance of effort and ease and has helped guide me back to, you know, to my own true nature. So it was an amazing experience there. And I had to invite Teddy on the podcast. And what I also learned from Teddy and thank you so much is that this is his very first podcast appearance. So this is super, super cool to have the legendary Teddy Dean making his debut podcast appearance as a guest on the Midlife Mail podcast. Teddy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is your first podcast. Yes, it is. This is a big Midlife Mail podcast moment, <laughs> the exclusive first podcast ever of the legendary Teddy Dean. So thank you so much uh, for, for saying yes and for being here. Well, thank you for having a newbie like me on here. On here. <laughs> well, this is, this is awesome. Uh, let's start with with a meditation if we can, because look, that's yeah. how we met at Modern Elder, got to know each other. I've experienced your classes and your teachings. And um, let's do another first. Let's start out with a Teddy Dean meditation. I think that's a wonderful idea. So just to let anybody know out there, I take a very, very practical approach to this. So um, don't be afraid. You know, some people run to the hills when they hear this word meditation. Um, but why don't we just frame it as um, simply sitting, simply sitting and and being aware of what is. So we'll just do a minute or two here. So go ahead and just take a comfortable seated position. And you can softly close your eyes if you wish. 
And let's just start with the simple fact that we're in a body, that we're actually in this wondrous, interesting, always transforming container. And to start to recognize the whole totality of this body, to not really think of this body conceptually, but start to experience the body and its wholeness. The awareness of having this body and to let that awareness expand or simply wash through the body so that we're experiencing the whole totality of the body itself. We see that this, or we start to experience that this body has a heaviness or a density to it. And we recognize this because we feel the ground beneath us. We feel the body planted down on our chair, our seat. And we let ourselves settle. We just let ourselves settle. And we think about this relationship between the body and the ground, or what it really is, the relationship between this body and the earth itself. And to think about that for a moment, to contemplate what we're doing here, we're experiencing our bodies literally being supported by the earth itself, the earth providing a substrate for us to, to ground down into. And to just recognize how supported we are at any given moment. The earth simply offering itself to us, holding us up. And not only that, but providing for us, providing for us. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, all of it, for the most part, offered freely. And this is the part that is so beautiful because we start to see how taken care of, how our needs are really met at every given moment, for the most part. And for myself, I start to experience a simplification. All the doing, all the dramas, all the forward momentum begin to settle. And this allows me to place my awareness on the breath itself this phenomena, the breath, that just comes out of nowhere, literally comes out of nowhere. We usually don't pay much attention to it. We're usually not even aware of the breath. But let's just settle, continue to settle in the body, feel the support of the earth, and start to just feel and experience the body breathing, the gentle ebb and flow of 
of the breath itself. And it doesn't take long for us to actually experience the natural nurturing qualities that the breath can offer by just placing our awareness around this wonderful quality, this wonderful natural process. The in-breath as the in-breath, the out-breath as the out-breath, dropping beneath the surface, letting the dust settle. And just moving into something a little less conditioned, not so definable. And we allow ourselves to really, in a sense, come a bit closer to who and what we really are, knowing that we are all in this constant state of becoming. So it's good for us to find some natural rhythm again and to use the body, to use the body and the resources within this body to set up guidelines as we navigate this beautiful gift of a life that we've been given. Namaste. Amen. Namaste. Mm. Beautiful, my friend. Now I have to went a little long there, but uh, I don't know. I just felt nah, like it was go. It was great. Now I have to wake back up a little. I'm so relaxed. <laughs> we got to get back into Bring okay. Back like, yeah. gonna get into some conversation mode. But but that right there, man, is all just one of the things that just really landed with me and what makes you so so special. We started our days like that every every morning at yeah. Modern Elder Academy. Mm -hmm. um, and the notion that breath is so important and in that environment and situation where, where you teach and lead was such a feeling of kind of contentment and relaxation and just beginning your day. Um, but the breath has become really top of mind for me almost everywhere. You know, what we experienced together at Modern Elder, I actually just got back from Utah and, and on a long 36 hour hike. And at the onset, the welcoming kind of event, there was an entire session on breath work also about getting prepared for what we were about to take on and how important the breath is with the altitude and on the mountain. And we're seeing it really everywhere, whether it's, you know, surfing and, and I've seen it with like XPT and Laird Hamilton's programming in the water. And we're seeing it with, with what you're doing at Modern Elder. Now I just saw it again in the mountain. What drew you to this initially, Dan? Well, the breath, I mean, really, the breath is such a wonderful teacher, you know, um, not only in activities that we're doing, like, you know, the, the long distance hike that you experienced or surfing or anything where we're working out and um, maybe awareing, uh, making ourselves aware of, of the body breathing, but also you know, more importantly, breath awareness throughout our normal, regular days is so important. Um, and it will really tell you immediately 
how you're navigating your day. If you're just take a moment and just kind of see how you're breathing, how are, am I contracting right now? Is my breath kind of in line with its natural rhythm? Um, it was very interesting. I worked with a um, who became a good friend of mine, this guy named Tom Jones, who worked at Cliff Bar. He was a VP there. And the very first time I worked with him, um, he told me, we did a yoga class and, and he told me like, wow, he's like, he's like, I just realized I have never breathed right. And he's in his early fifties. And, you know, of course he's breathing right. But what he was telling me is he's never realized that he can change and have an effect on the way he breathes. What he was telling me is like, he didn't know that he could relax and lean into his breath and find a natural rhythm. He was just always naturally breathing shallowly. And this is the thing that happens. We start to see when with breath awareness, we start to see that we have a choice as to how we're navigating whatever is in front of us. And the breath will tell us immediately. You get that email, you tighten up. You, you get that comment, somebody passing by that maybe is negative or was that a jab at me or something and we tighten up we tend to retract and the breath will tell us immediately whether we're in line with our own natural rhythm or not and even when we do have to deal with something stressful um something that does make us recoil and retract you can catch it really quickly and just it only take it takes literally a split second to recognize the body, the weight of the body, how we're being supported, and then the breath, and we can kind of ease into it instead of just something happening, us retracting, tightening up, and then reacting. We start to see that we can use the breath to to really kind of bring us back to the moment so that we can deal with whatever triggered us much more skillfully than just constantly reacting to the world as life comes at us. So the mm. breath is really just, I mean, it's, it's the best teacher in the world. It'll just tell you when you're going off the rails and when you're not. And it just, it's not being overly self-conscious about the breath throughout the day. It's just the more, this is why meditation is so important because it trains us to always come back to the breath. So when you start to feel the tightness, the tight, the, the effect of the chest getting tight, um, you catch it before you just go down that big long road of unskillfully reacting to life's events as they come at you. Now, I wanna come back to meditation mindfulness in there. Um, but as we also jumped right in, I'm yeah. going to kind of back up a little bit, um, just in terms of your background and your story and, and the journey that you've taken to get you to where, where you are now. Would, would you share a little bit about and your, your upbringing, where you're from, and, and also lead us into the, your, frankly, your legendary career? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in, I grew up in Huntington Beach. Um, I'm 58. So my childhood was really the 70s. Um, Huntington Beach in the 70s in Southern California was really kind of a, you know, 
kind of a surf ghetto in a way. It wasn't it wasn't that ghettoish in that sense, but it was it was um, how do I say this? It it's it was a lot of creative types were there. Um, surf culture back then was more kind of freewheeling people. Um, you know, surf culture was a little more of like, you know, people carving their own path in their lives and not necessarily being fixated on, you know, working and uh, constantly like like these days, the culture that we're in these days. But it was a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. Um, surfing culture as a child was 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 really um, and surfing itself was something that I gravitated towards immediately. And there was a bunch of us kids, you know, and we kind of pretty much grew up on the beaches. Back then we roamed, we were super feral, um, super feral, unsupervised, and and we had a wonderful time. My upbringing was, was really magical. Um, skateboard culture came in. Um, I was obviously very attracted to that. I excelled in it. Um, I skated for Vans tennis shoes from a really early age, and we were a, we were more of a touring team then. So um, I was on the road on the road quite a bit all through like a lot of through uh, junior high school, and then later I wanted to compete more, and I my dream was to get on Pal and Peralta, the Bones Brigade. Uh, managed by Stacy Peralta. And I was winning some contests. I was doing, I was excelling at it. And uh, one thing led to another, and I was asked to be on the Bones Brigade. Um, and it was at a time when uh, Stevie Caballero was on the team, Mike McGill, Rodney Mullins, um, Jay Adams. Alan Gelfin, the inventor of the Ollie, um, and Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk was on our team uh, for about the last year and a half that I was on it. And um, it was a wonderful time in my life. It, um, we competed a lot. Um, Stacy was a wonderful mentor. Um, I didn't really have too much of a father figure growing up and Stacy's not really like that much older than me but he was really took the place of like a mentor or a big brother um wonderful wonderful human being I don't he really um instilled a deep positivity uh in me um in my life and I'm not sure he had, he had a big effect a big effect on me um, and still does. Um, I just had a wonderful, con I don't talk with him that much, but I, the other day I had a wonderful conversation with him for about an hour and a half. Mm. Um, so skateboarding, uh, Bones Brigade, and a little bit after I graduated high school, the industry was was dying. It was kind of coming at a low where uh, back then, skateboard parks were private. They were owned privately. They weren't public. And they started closing all throughout California. And it became harder and harder for me to go and practice, to really practice uh, my, my, uh, my skateboarding. More and more difficult. 
and as the parks closed um and as nobody would really be in the parks you know when you would go there so the camaraderie and the and the brotherhood and sisterhood because there were there were women skating starting to skate back then and um I got a little uninspired and I remember the very last night I drove to Whittier to practice. I went into the park about seven at night. Um, nobody was in the park. I went to warm up in one of the smaller pools. And uh, I did a carve around, went into the shallow end, carved around again, and then went back into the deep end and did this kind of simple trick where you kind of pop out of the pool. Um, and you land on your tail, you clip the coping, kind of they call it a tail tap, but it was an air to tail. And my tail slipped out of the board and I slammed. I slammed pretty hard and I was laying there at the bottom of the pool and I just was staring up at the nighttime sky. And it was just like that. I was like, I was like, I'm done. I think I'm done. And I got up unpadded and I went home. And I remember I, just, I didn't really know how to tell Stacy that I was quitting. And I remember he called me because we had a contest coming up in Colton. And, uh, and he called me to see if I needed a ride to get out there for the contest. And I, I remember I wasn't gonna go, but I didn't know how to say anything. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll be there. I'll just, I'll get there myself. And, uh, and I no-showed. You know, I didn't go. And and he never bugged me, but that was kind of it. You know, it was it. And, um, but I really left. Like when I stopped that, I really didn't look back in a way. And I decided to go to college. I decided to go to my community college. And what was really interesting, this kind of ties in with midlife and this thing mm -hmm. of, uh, beginner's mind and and never really knowing who and what we really are in a way, you know, like, who am I? What am I striving for to just know that we are in this constant state of becoming and who and what we were 10 years ago is very different than who and what we are now. And to really just kind of align ourselves with that so that we can actually have the space to to be surprised by ourselves. And this happened to me in college because I was the skateboard surfer guy in school. I was the one, I was the kid who was on the best skateboard team in the world. That was my identity. Mm -hmm. My buddy Wayne Greathouse was the smart one. He was the one that was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. You know, you have all these identities. And I, I was kind of considered, you know, kind of slow in school. Not like I read slow but I was in remedial reading. Um, I did okay in school, you know, C's, occasional B, but I didn't thrive in it. I was very bored. And so my, I, my uh, kind of mindset about intellect and uh, smarts was that I just wasn't, I didn't really care, you know, but it didn't affect me too much, but that was what I thought of myself. And jump ahead into college, I started college and I thrived. I was so like, I just soaked it up. Straight A's, I was in the sciences, I was studying biology. Um, 
it was mind boggling to me because I just was like, I wasn't smart. You know, I went into college like because I just didn't know what else to do. I went into it just like, well, I'll do this. And all of a sudden I got so inspired. There are a couple teachers there that I connected with deeply. Um, a professor named uh, Dennis Kelly, who's been studying the bottlenose dolphins off the California coast for when I started college for about a decade there, and I believe he's still doing it today. Um, and I hooked up with him and I worked for him for like three years. I went to community college for like three years. I stayed there longer. And um, I was the marine mammal stranding coordinator for him. So we would pick up the dolphins off the beach and go get them uh, net crop seed and tissue samples analyzed. And, and we would we were very involved in environmentalism and uh, keeping the ocean clean and showing the evidence of the pollutants in the ocean by um, the dolphins that would come up that were dead and um, showing that there was a lot of DDT and PCBs in the, in the tissues of some of these dolphins. Um, really wonderful work. I studied orcas for two summers up in the San Juan Islands. So that was where I was going. Um, I was going to be like kind of a marine biologist more with uh, whales and dolphins. That's a departure for sure. <laughs> that was that was a big departure and and um, but it was also a big awakening in uh, in this whole world of of uh, academia and learning and soaking up. I was I. I got turned on to philosophies. Um, you know, I wanted to minor in philosophy. So I, I had a wonderful philosophy teacher who hung out with the Jesuits, you know, and he was uh, such a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Um, and I eventually got accepted to, I got accepted to UC Berkeley as a biology major. And, but at this point, my alcoholism, <laughs> which was slowly moving in, uh, was well on its on its way at that point. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really last too long at UC Berkeley. I didn't like it there. Um, I loved the I loved the school, but I my sort of um, intimate experience and access to teachers and things at um, at Orange Coast College in my community college just was not there at UC Berkeley. It was huge classes, you know, 300 people in a class. You never really uh, got to know your teacher. It was highly competitive. And I was just on my way uh, to becoming a professional drinker. And uh, so I didn't finish there. Um, at what point, um, Teddy, did the You've talked about addiction a lot. Um, at what point did you start to get control of it? If that's even the right word, you know? And again, you've made this kind of spiritual transition and transformation from the high pressure, highly competitive, young skateboarding world into kind of community college and then all the way to UC Berkeley. And then to, as you were just talking about, kind of getting derailed on this. But ultimately, also yeah. to you know, to where you are are now having you know 
it's always it's a continuation of of prog- of, of process and progress but yeah. you've worked through that too i mean you know what i'm talking to you right now you're sitting in 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 baja and we'll get to that as well i mean the journey continues but i was curious as what part where in it would did you start to take control of that of that alcohol addiction and start to turn more towards mindfulness and spirituality and buddha and the things that we've you know we've gotten to know each other on sure so um i did leave uc berkeley i ended up going to san francisco art institute um and i i did finish there with a degree in art in uh in painting but i spent most of my time there in the film and video department and this was at a time when independent film was was blossoming up in the early 90s and there was a big fun energy around that where anybody and everybody could make a film and i was super involved in that and i i i went into that full force um i ended up making two small feature uh uh films um one of them played all over in europe and a bunch of uh, uh film festivals um super fun exciting time super uh driven by forward momentum a lot of hustling a lot of uh manipulating in a way to get to the next step constantly um all fueled by alcohol it was a crazy wild time super fun but uh I probably would, I don't really want to go back there, that's for sure. Um, And I did that for about 12 years. And when the dust finally settled there, and I had a moment to look at kind of the wreckage of everything of just like, you know, this kind of forward momentum and this kind of ego driven environment, you know, Um, when I finally my my drinking and my alcoholism got to a certain point where I was pretty sick, to be honest with you, you know, um, a marriage ended um, and it wasn't super dramatic. It just ended, thankfully. And and we and it was soon after that where I did start to seriously entertain getting sober and I was about thirty five. And I just, I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't really know how everybody I hung around with did the same things I did. So I didn't really know any sort of sober people. Um, But what was interesting when I finally started to take it seriously, um, people that I thought just were kind of the same as me drinking and everything, I would slowly learn they actually weren't, that they've been sober a while also. Um, so people started to kind of, I started to notice people, uh, this kind of group of people around me that I just never really knew. I did a 30 day, really bottom of the barrel, 30 day detox thing. And I made it through that. And after I made it through it, I just, I kind of continued on the same, on, on the, uh, kind of leery, kind of pretty afraid that I'll relapse in a way. Um, I never did. I don't know why, but I never really, it wasn't a lot of back and forth or anything. It was like, it's almost like when I left skateboarding in a way I was done and maybe the drinking, I really did it really good for quite a while. You know, I took it right to 
its limit. And, uh, and I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't go back to it, but that was really where, um, the work began, you know, it began in really looking at, um, at myself and starting to cultivate, like, who is Teddy? What does Teddy really want? You know, who at essence, what is Teddy? And my curiosity about spirituality and practice and religion was always there, even as a young kid. I was always very interested in in spirituality and a lot of uh, religions. And I started to go to these things, you know, looking for some sort of contentment. Um, and through through AA, but probably more than that, for me, speaking strictly for me, it was the practice of mindfulness that really, really um, has saved my life. You know, I don't say that lightly. Um, the, the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha um, have um, has had an immense effect on me and my sobriety, my sobriety was, was, was going along perfectly fine. And I got to year two and I don't know what was happening, but I was riddled with wretched anxiety, like debilitating anxiety, like going to the hospital, you know, heart racing, waking up in the middle of the night and just like my heart going 140 beats per minute for like, I don't know why, you know, and I had a therapist at the time, a kind of an untraditional therapist at the time. And I had already been working with her for a couple of years through my sobriety. And at that point, I was really suffering. It was really affecting my life and my lifestyle. And um, and she was really wonderful at just telling me to see it through, to stay with it, to continue to stay with my practices, promising that I'm not going to die. You know, that was a big one because when these episodes happen, you do feel like you're going to die. I mean, mm -hmm. you really do. And I got used to that. Um, and it was really through my practice that I was allowed, I was, this was the beauty of this. And, and this is the, what was so Kind of a gift in my life at this time is that I didn't have a ton of responsibilities. I I don't have children. Um, I didn't have a huge mortgage. I didn't really own much. There wasn't a lot to manage. So I had the privilege to I continued to work, of course. I had to work. I was I was able to work. I wasn't that debilitated, but it was really difficult sometimes. Um, I had the privilege to take that year and to really just let this work its way through. And what I really learned and what I learned from my teachers later is that our sort of, call it a breakdown, call it a, a dark night of the soul episode, call it whatever it is, something, some sort of energy working its way out of you. Most of the time it's interrupted. You know, most of the time we don't have the luxury to 
to kind of do what I did and just kind of continue with my, you know, a lot of people have two or three kids. They have a mortgage. They have, you know, they're having panic attacks and they, they go to the quick fix, which is, you know, um, Xanax is really helpful for those situations, you know, but the thing is, is whatever is really happening, it's interrupted. And I had the luxury of it not to be interrupted and it worked its way through. It took a long time, you know, over a year. And, but I do have to say it's totally gone. You know, it's totally uh, vanished, you know. And that was really, it was really an interesting time in my life. Uh, And it really kind of tied into you know, our culture and what is expected of us and how it is so on you. So I get it when somebody's like, I don't have time to like sit in my body and go to my mindfulness meditation group throughout the week because I have three kids and I have a mortgage and I, I am, uh, I'm a leader in my company, you know, and nobody, you know, I don't really want anybody to know about this. I get that, even though that wasn't me, but I get that. And I see it all the time with a lot of people that come through Modern Elder, you know. Mm. Well, um, thank you for seeing it too. I mean, I, I sit here and I listen to you and go, okay, I I know I'm the guy yeah. in many ways that you're that yeah. you're talking to. And and so are the men that I work with and the men that listen and and it means all around that it starts to you accumulate. And and good or good and I wouldn't trade it, but yes, mortgage and private schools and two amazing children and the wife and and all of a sudden you you have a lot. Um, not that I want yeah. to even unwind it per se, but it just becomes a lot. The Midlife Mail podcast would not be possible without the support of some incredible brand partners. I only recommend brands I use, believe in, and trust. And each brand was handpicked by me for a specific reason. I believe in these guys, not just because they're great companies with great people behind them, but because the stuff works. I use these to stay at my peak and I suggest you do too. So go over to midlifemail.com and click on special offers for exclusive Midlife Mail discounts and promotions. So I mean, when you talk about finding the time and making the time and, and looking at, I think there's a lot of white space between what you were able to do. And again, what a lot of the men and women that we see that come through Modern Elder, the ones that I worked also, which is we have to find the space a little bit in between because I can't necessarily quit my job or I don't have that year, or I can't separate or detach entirely from the obligations and responsibilities that I have. And in a lot of cases, nor would I want to, but they are piling up. They do cause stress. They do cause anxiety. And how, for lack of maybe a better word, are we able to balance here? Are we able to breathe? Are we able to pay attention to the mindfulness? You talked before, I think I even hit the button, and I wanted to come back to this and make a note about addiction in another way. You've talked about alcohol addiction and coming through that. But that even for you, the addiction to busyness and kind of getting out of the of the busyness yeah. and the addiction to to busyness was almost harder than the alcoholism itself. And it landed with me because I identify 
with a lot of it. Yes, you and I were both in, in film in the 90s. You know? I concur completely. I forgot, I forgot you were saying that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that it was a, a lot of fun, too much fun, fun yeah. and my own yeah. <laughs> alcohol issues to, to the extreme. Yeah. And then also for me, the transition into the busyness of work and corporate and constant yeah. hustle, grind, 24-7, the mindset almost of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, and the glamour associated with, if you don't answer the question, like, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Like what, like, that's just the normal answer without even thinking we default to, to busy. And I'd love for you to touch on that a little bit about, you know, that addiction and then pressure that you felt. And I felt it too. And also how you've worked through that. And maybe again, there's a difference between, 100% 100% saying I'm cutting this and doing this to, Hey, here are some tools and some tactics that I can use to maybe not feel this, this inherent pressure to be addicted to busyness. Sure. Um, my experience with busyness came from, I was sober pretty. And I was, uh, my practices were blossoming but I was also, I decided I just wanted to work and make money. This was after all the film stuff. So after all that, I didn't hit it big. I didn't sell a movie for a bunch of money. I didn't get offered to like go, you know, but I, and I didn't want to have at it. You know, I didn't, I didn't expect that I would get big, but I just, I kind of had had enough and I just wanted to, I just wanted to work. I wanted to not do art. So I started to work in production and, um, and I was making pretty good money and I got swept up in just being busy and working a lot, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. And, um, but it was interesting that whole decade, my spiritual life was blossoming on one way. And then this sort of busyness thing and money was blossoming on the other way. It was super bipolar. Um, and my heart was over here and but this thing of just and i wasn't like making a ton of money but for me it was like allowing me to do these things that i hadn't been able to do when i was doing film stuff like i could go snowboarding for a few days i could take some surf trips i could i was getting a little bit of my old lifestyle back um and of of being out in nature and doing these things like surfing and snowboarding and taking a, taking a real vacation and things but but i was really addicted to my busyness and and i would i remember my acupuncturist at the time was saying um this was like year five into it she goes you can't do this anymore your adrenals are super burnt um, I was working really late nights. She goes, she goes, your body doesn't even get to do its cleansing process because you're usually not asleep at three in the morning. You know, so if you're awake, you don't, your body doesn't get to do this type of a cleansing process tied to the circadian rhythms. This is why, you know, this is why I think we've all experienced where we've had to stay up all night or a night or two and you feel, you feel uh, sore. You know, and usually that's because your body wasn't able to do what it needs to do because it only does that when it's asleep at around three in the morning. And if you're awake, it doesn't do that. 
And she was like, you need to find some other type of work. And I just was petrified. You know, I just was like, what do you mean? I'm snowboarding. I'm allowed. I can go on these little surf trips. I'm, you know, but at the same time, my body was giving me signs like, dude, you need to make some changes. Um, and I didn't listen to her. You know, I didn't listen to her. And um, what happened a few years later was I had a few days off, put my surfboard in my car, left the Bay Area. I got to about San Jose and I felt some weird tingling right here, like above my eye. And I just was like, what is, you know, what is that? And I already, I was used to feeling burned out. I was used to feeling, it was just like the way I felt. Um, and I had a weird feeling. So I turned around and I went home. I, I was going down to Southern California to actually to surf a little, but to also see the Dalai Lama in Long Beach. And I couldn't make it. I went back home, felt like a loser because I really wanted to go to this this event with the Dalai Lama. And I woke up the next morning and I had shingles, you know, shingles starting up above over. And I was like in my mid forties, I think at the time. Um, so it was a bit, that was a big wake up call there. And it was this, you know, my whole life was this ego maintenance program of busyness, you know, my, my worth and everything was built around my own busyness, just like everybody else around me. And that was the thing is we don't have perspective on this because if you do look around, you see that everybody around you, friends and family are just as busy as you are. So it looks that, normal. Right? Yeah, it was just, it was the norm. And like you said, like you see an old friend on the street and, and you say like, hey, how you been? And it's like, oh my God, I'm so busy. You know, we just say it without really thinking it. And I started to make a lot of changes then, you know, I started, I did, I did finally leave that type of work, but it was, it was way more difficult than getting sober um, because it wasn't necessary, you know, drinking, I had the evidence there that, that I can't do this anymore, you know, and then I mean, to some extent, getting the shingles was was huge evidence that I needed to change my lifestyle, but it was really scary. You know, it was very scary. It was like leaving a relationship almost, you know, am I going to find somebody as good? Am I going to, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, everything was just, there was no soft landing pad at all. And um, my yoga and my meditation I stuck with it through all of this. And I just sat and sat and continued to just, what I did is I quit and then all of a sudden I had space for something new to appear finally. Because when you're in it, you're not, you, you wanna make a change, right? You don't have space for something new to appear. It's just too cluttered. And this is the problem because so many of us stay in these situations that aren't good for us. They're not good for our families by us staying in them, but we're too afraid to leave because we don't have a nice cushy landing pad to go to. Sometimes we do, but 
a lot of times we really don't. And we keep waiting while we keep waiting and putting that decision off until there is a nice cushy landing pad. And sometimes we just need to stop and it's in the stopping. It's in the kind of literally moving away from that to allow something new, something fresh to appear. And I did two yoga teacher trainings. I started to, I was the sub back a long time ago with Twitter. I was the sub mindfulness meditation guy. I, I did it a few times at, at Twitter at noon um, back when, back in their old, old building in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, incremental progress in this sort of like, I wasn't looking to go into this field but it kind of just happened in a way. The more I started to make time and space for my own practice, I started to move in that direction in a way where I did go into this field, right? But what, let's say I went into another field. I have no doubt that my spiritual life and my regular life would be intertwined. And that just happened naturally. It wasn't like, this is and this is the way I, I kind of like try to frame it to to uh, my students is that when people are like, how do you have the time and space to do something like this, you know, and I have three kids and I have this job and I'm busy, busy, busy. Um, you just start with what you can do. I mean, you start with your five minutes a day. Um, but you stick with it and you weave it into your daily life like you do anything else. It's not that I'm going to, you know, make a big deal because I'm going to sit with myself for five minutes and meditate. You don't make it overly dramatic. We're just sitting, right? And you weave it in as something you do, just like taking a shower, preparing your food, you know, cleaning the car, you know, whatever, you just don't make it that dramatic. You just do it, you know, and, and that's where the magic starts because, and this is the way it happened with me. And this is the way I see it with so many people when they start to entertain a bit of stillness in their lives. And these are super busy, successful people, right? And they mm -hmm. start to entertain a bit of stillness. And what starts to happen, like in my experience, you know, I was working with a teacher at the time and, and he's like, how's everything going? You know? And I was like, I go, I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling a bit of contentment. And he goes, he goes, boy, I go, he goes, I wonder what a lot of contentment might feel like, you know? And that was really kind of a nudge to like do more of what I'm doing. Right. Five minutes, you start to see, well, you know, I can do 10 minutes. I still have the three kids, the wife, the family, the job, the business, the da, da, but we trick ourselves, right? I'm too busy. The ego maintenance program, right? I'm too busy. You know, what would your friends say if they saw Greg on the street? Like they're like, they see you walking up the street, walking the dog and they're like, Greg, what, what have you been up to? And you just go, nothing meditating a lot, you know, entertaining the lost art of non-doing, they would just be like, what happened to you? You know? I and mean, they ask, I'll tell, yeah. absolutely. I mean, if you do pay attention, yeah. uh, 
to asking that question again, how often you hear the answer busy. Yeah. How are, and if you repeat the question, even how are you? Yeah. Unfortunately, most don't know how to answer it after they've sure. answered busy. Yeah. They'll go deeper into how busy versus yeah. how they really are. And to your point, if you answer the question differently, you come across as the outlier a little bit, yeah. or there's a little bit of hesitation and surprise in what the answer is. Or now actually what I get quite a bit from people, particularly in my neighborhood that have known me differently, when they yeah. ask, is, is that all you're really doing now? Yeah. Or, or, or hey, yeah. like, hey, are, is like, are you like just writing and doing a podcast now? Like what happened to the, to the business in the city? Yeah. The, like, like, Hey, almost like walk me through, like how the fuck that happened? You know, like, yeah. wait a minute, like everyone else here. Okay. To your sure. married kids, expenses, grind on the hamster wheel. Like, 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 wait a minute. So you're just like putting out a newsletter and a, and a podcast thing now. And it all, all the other stuff, like, like went away. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Like, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm sure your calendar, like you get into this stuff and it's not, not like from a, a badge of honor standpoint, but, but to your point, it's so difficult to get over yourself and to get out of your own way and to yeah. stop fixating or even thinking about what other people think and what seems to be the proverbial norm and say, okay, I'm going to do something a little different, even if that's making a short amount of space or time. Yeah. And then maybe can I learn from that? Because I, I love what you meant. The consistency is what's really key. It really is. And just not to over, we over dramatize everything, you know, and it's like, you know, when I go and I, you know, when we brush our teeth in the morning, it's, you're supposed to do it for two minutes, you know, start with two minutes of sitting. And when we brush our teeth, we don't judge it after we're done. You know, like, we're not like, oh my God, I, I was in, I was totally in Nirvana when I brushed my teeth there. <laughs> I brush your teeth and you're done, right? You let it go. The same approach is in this practice of stillness. You don't, you, you know, we're not doing this to bliss out because so much of what we do, every move we make is almost um, something to get, a movement to get something in return. Can we do one thing and not expect anything out of it? That's where the magic happens. We just do it and we let it go. We do it because it's good for us, period. And it makes us a better human, mm. you know? It just makes us better to, you know, you, this is where I kind of encourage people to be a bit selfish, you know, not in a kind of like me, me, me way, but to make sure that you have some time and space just for yourself, you know? Um, I've been because, saying a lot lately that self-care is not yeah. selfish. I've been putting it out for, and that you have to put yourself first. And one of the, yeah. the probably the number one thing I get from, from guys is that they put everybody and everything ahead of themselves. Yeah. And when you don't take care of yourself, you start to see and start to feel, you know, everything's action reaction. You start to see and yeah. feel very different reactions. 
totally yeah. act and reaction, you know, and, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have a right to like pure bliss happiness in this life. If we're really awake, we're, if we're really awake, we do have a right to some sort of contentment though. And that contentment is available no matter where we are, you know, and I know our platform in the mornings at MEA, we're beautiful and people are always get really attached to those mornings. And like, I wish I was back there, but like, that's the mind already working on you to blow it off when you get home. I'm not at MEA. I don't want to do it then. It's just mm. that simple, you know, but yep. that, that stillness can be accessed in New York city in times square on new year's Eve. You know, this is available. I think it's such a great, it's such a great point again, that we associate and can get escapism and I have to go here to do this, or I have to be on yeah. vacation to do this. And then as opposed to integrating these principles and these values and these practices into our lives, wherever, wherever we are, you know, one thing that yeah. came up this, this weekend, I was listening to a, to a speaker and he was really talking about, you know, be where your feet are. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the yeah. notion of being present, like whatever this experience is, wherever you are, can you be where your feet are? Can you be fully present, you know, in that? Um, I want to touch on that because now you've mentioned M- MEA a little bit. When did you first make your way to Baja? I know you split time and you're back and forth, but when you made your way to Baja? Back and forth a lot. I mean, you know, early on, even when I was working a lot in the Bay Area, um, Virgin Air had these like flights that went out of SFO every day at 10 in the morning and I would be on the mailing list. And when I would see the, the airfares kind of drop or whatever, I would, I would jam down here with my surfboard and uh, I could leave at 10 in the morning. I could be in the water at Cerritos Beach surfing by six in the evening. So it became kind of a nice thing that I started to do. And what slowly happened is um, I, I wanted, after I got shingles, I wanted to take some time here. So I stayed a month, I stayed a month. And, and then I went back to the Bay area and I came back for a couple more months. And it was during these couple more months, I met this, this woman who was the yoga teacher at Rancho Pescadero, this boutique, um, really wonderful, um, boutique resort. Um, and all they offered was yoga. It was uh, 28 rooms uh, right on the beach. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful place to go to. And I would go to Lauren's yoga class and I became friends with her. And we started this meditation group on Wednesdays during my like, I guess I was here a couple months. And we had lots of people, lots of people for here come 12, 15 people. And we kind of developed a little community then. But Back then, it was very seasonal here. People would leave after after the winter. They Once summer came, they would leave and go back. A lot of Canadians and things. And um, Lauren was like, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about quitting. You should maybe consider this, you know? So it was seasonal work. So it was only like, it was work out of, just a few months out of the year and I took it and it was wonderful. And I became the yoga programmer there and um, 
we did these little wellness retreats because they had a they had a farm there and they had a restaurant that was in the farm and I didn't want to just do regular yoga retreats I I did these kind of uh mindfulness of the body breath and food so it was like mindfulness retreats where yoga was a part of it meditation was a part of it but also nutrition was a part of it and I did it with my friend uh who's a wonderful nutritionist named Liz Campbell and I did that I went back and forth for a few years and uh and I did this wonderful restorative yoga class there that was very popular and that was how I met Chip Conley um he would go to this boutique hotel um, and you go there quite a lot. And, um, and we became friends through that restorative yoga class. And he, um, he mentioned to me that he bought a home, you know, and he invited me over for a little cocktail party thing. And I came over and he was, it was, you know, a nice home and his partner, they, they remodeled it and made it beautiful. And he was talking about at the time, uh, maybe buying the property out front, beachfront. And at the same time, he was writing The Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder book. Um, he was writing it at this time. And mm. they ended up getting the property out front. And I think I think that's when it kind of clicked in Chip's head that like, wow, maybe we could bring people here and talk about some of these things that I discuss in the book. Whereas I think maybe in the past, he was maybe going to do these at Esalen or at other established retreat centers. That's how it started. I mean, it just really, in a way, kind of, I might be telling it a little bit, but it's like, it was very organic, you know, and he talked about what he wanted to do and, and he brought in Christine Sperber and Christine and I had been friends from the yoga community for a long time. So I came over and started my little component over there and, uh, four and a half, five, four and a half years later, you know, here we are, um, you know, two other campuses now getting ready to open in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, um, online courses, sabbatical sessions. Um, we've really grown relatively quickly, even especially with, you know, with COVID happening, you know, us having to close, you know, and then the, navigating that whole it was a very even through that period uh we learned a lot about ourselves and the direction where mea should go which was really dictated by the community that was growing you know what are what are your needs i mean that's that's chip's life is really like um whenever he would whenever he would back in his hotelier days you know he would buy up buy a building or an old hotel and he would talk to the community first like what's needed in this community, what is needed. And he would weave that into his business, you know. Um, that's the way that guy's been his whole life, what is needed. And that's the way, that's the only way modern elder is moving in that direction is just kind of saying yes to what's needed in the community in midlife, you know, in midlife. Well, it, it's so smart. And I can tell you it, it is absolutely needed. And I was fortunate enough to you know, not only read, read, Chip's first book with Wisdom at Work, but then also get introduced to him and have him on the podcast as well yeah. to share and tell more of his story and sure. then to take it a step further and be able to come down and, and visit 
modern yeah. elder. And to your point with his generosity and saying, hey, what's needed? He goes, take a look at all the curriculum. Take a look at everything we have. And basically, pick what you need, pick what lands with you. Um, yeah. So it was naturally you know, the, the business of the business of midlife. I saw that and saw Tim Parr from Caddis. And then I looked down, I see Jeff and I see Christine and I see yourself and I'm reading the bios. I'm like, what is going on, you know, down there? <laughs> this is the one. And it's really an extraordinary place filled with extraordinary people. Um, and nothing like anything I had ever experienced before and wasn't quite sure what I was going to what I was getting myself into and, and what I was going to, to get out of it. Um, and I just found the entire experience incredible. Um, both the types of individuals that gravitate down there to take part. Yeah. Um, as well as, as what y'all put into giving us every one of us, what we need. I just thought it was, I just thought it was amazing. And as somebody now who similarly tries to, seek out a variety of different experiences so that I could share them with, I hate the term followers, but whether it's subscribers, you know, or, or friends or anybody out there to say, look, you know, can we aggregate and curate the best experiences out there? Whatever it, they might be spiritual, they might be performance, they might be anything. Aggregate and curate those, eliminate the ones that don't work for you. And then you pick, you know, but I've been having this amazing time uh, at these types of experiences. So I'm just grateful for that. And I, and I thank you guys for what you're doing and could not recommend it more highly that everyone needs time down time. If you're at this age and stage of life, then you need to spend some time exploring what modern elder is doing. Midlife is an extremely juicy time of life. And it really hasn't been talked about in this way ever, you know, as far as I know, um, and that's why that the beauty of modern elder is in my opinion is that it is a little bit undefinable um which makes it tricky for us to market ourselves right um because we're not a spiritual center you know mm -hmm. we're not a reinvent yourself place we're not a um you know it's it's it, you can come here for a lot of different reasons and it doesn't really matter you know these cohorts are like 20 to 25 people and you start to see that we all really have the same stories in a way we're all very unique and very different but at base level you know we in a business sense we've experienced times of great abundance and times of great loss personal sense times of great abundance times of great loss, money, times of great abundance, times of great, we start to see the like, I'm mm -hmm. not in this alone. Um, my kids are going to college. I'm a mom, you know, I'm also a school teacher, but now like they're, I'm not a mom anymore. Now I have all this other, what am I going to do? I'm untethered. My identity's all changed. Um, to be comfortable in that constant state of becoming that I talk so much about. Um, and I think we're, we've tapped into something here that, and I think for the most part is we all, all of us at uh, Modern Elder, uh, Chip, Christine, Jeff, and all of us that, that work there really position ourselves as students.
Mm. You know, we're in the thick of it with you all. Um, we're living it. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned you're 58. I'll be 50 at the end of the year. Um, I don't think it's per se a trend. I do agree. I think we're seeing this dynamic time um, about middle age, whether you call it again, modern elder, whether it's midwife males or females. But I think that there's this incredible opportunity that we're all looking at to make this next phase our best phase. Sure. And I don't think it's a trend. I think it's something that's that's here to stay where I think we're seeing it in business. I think we're seeing it in life. We're seeing it in brands. We're seeing it in experiences and, yeah. and retreats and cohorts that are available because we have this opportunity now. And I've said this before. I say so to, to live better and happier and healthier and longer and strong than we ever have before. Sure. And we got to be able to apply this experience, right? <laughs> so you said all the the abundance and then all of the loss and all of the abundance. Of, Everything be able between, to, yeah. We got to be able to do something with this. You know? And I think now is really the time where we can think it through that much better. There's so much opportunity for communication, for collaboration, for continued learning. Um, yeah. And you still have 20, 30, 40 years, you know? of of greatness ahead of you i've got my diploma right here still on my on my desk it's still in my tube right now waiting to get get framed my diploma from from my cohort um and we're still on now we're on the phones every week you know sue's done her great job continuing it with your cohort yeah with our cohort yeah um so that's the beautiful thing is we just don't um after your week um you're encouraged and um, you're um, supported in a way to stay in touch with the people that you did the week with, which is, you know, you make these friendships that will probably last, will last a lifetime, you know? Well, you go through something, you're bonded forever. You go through something together that nobody can ever take away from you. So I think whether you're on the calls every week or or you jump on and off based upon schedule, and as you said, there's a lot of in there too, you've got this connection that nobody can ever take away from you from from being there, which is really, again, unique and really special. But there's also this appreciation and acceptance, what I've noticed since being off campus now and seeing the the emails come through about calls. There's this appreciation and acceptance for what everyone also has to go back to. Mm -hmm. what their realities and what their situations are. There's no judgment. There's no that you can't make a call or you can be, we do what we're able to do. Mm -hmm. And we all went through something very unique and very special together. Uh, And and that's super, super cool. Teddy, I can't thank you enough. This was, this was awesome. I know we could do this two, three hours. As we talked about, we can go full rich roll style. We can do everything. And and you are welcome anytime. Um, But I really appreciate you, you joining me. Um, You made, you made my time very special. It's an honor and it's a privilege to, to know you. And also please send my best to Jeff and to Christine and to Chris and everybody at Modern Elder as well. How do people find you also? Um, I do. Yeah, I do have a website, um, teddydean.com, Teddy with an I, T-E-D-D-I. And then Instagram is usually pretty good. Um, That's Teddy Dean, T-E-D-D-I. And um, I guess that's probably the best. I am doing a workshop in September um, in Sedona, Arizona, uh, Mindfulness Mm -hmm. of Aging, which will 
have a little bit of yoga, but I encourage really beginners to come. Uh, beginning meditation, beginning yoga, a lot of somatic work, a lot of body work, being in the body, being curious, reacquainting ourselves with the body, um, learning to be intimate again with our body. Um, it's going to be a nice weekend. It's uh, in September, I think around the 16th to the 18th. Um, you can check my Instagram for that or give me a direct message and I can give you all the info. Um, yep. Amazing. The legendary Teddy Dean, thank you so much on you, Midlife. Always a pleasure. Midlife Mail Podcast. Guys, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please give us that five-star rating. Please leave us that positive review. Keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. Please check out everything that Teddy Dean is up to. Give Modern Elder a follow as well. And thank you so much. Be back next week. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midlifemail.com and check out the Work With Me page to explore options.